Verbal Radio here on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, KUBU 96.5 FM, and KDEE 97.5 FM. Today in our studio, we've got an actual G-Man, and not from the G-G-G-G unit. We've got a G-Man from the FBI, Special Agent in Charge, Sean Reagan of the Sacramento Field Office. How you doing, Sean? Verbal, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Glad that we're glad we're here. Glad that we're in this capacity here, not getting raided. You know that we're here in friendship. Day, uh, day is early, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the day is early, and that is exactly why I'm leaving the office as soon as this interview is over. Uh, <laughs> so, Sean, how long have you been in the FBI? So I've been in the FBI as of this summer, 27 years. 27 years. And you're from the Bay Area originally, right? I am, born and raised. And uh, so you were telling me before we got on the show that when you signed up and you had to go to uh, FBI training, that's in Quantico, Virginia. Is that at, uh, wait, don't tell me. I know the name of the, I know the name of the place. It is called the Crossroads of the Marine Corps. Oh, the base is Quantico. Yeah, that's the Marine Corps base. Yeah, so is the FBI field office at the Marine Corps base, or is it? Yep, the FBI, well, not the field office, but the training academy is right in the center of the Marine Corps base, and it's its its own little uh, facility and and property, but you have to go into the Marine Corps base in order to access it. Do the Marines train there with the FBI? Well, they obviously train at their own base at Quantico. They don't train on the um, FBI facilities itself, but all around us. Uh, so there, you guys, just making sure, because I, I just want to, you know, you, you guys aren't getting that we can kill you in seven different ways with our bare hands training from the Marines <laughs> at FBI basic camp, right? Uh, we get enough of our own training. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't have to go to the Marines to get additional. But So uh, how accurate is that stuff? You know, there's a, like this Netflix show um, where... Uh, the guy interviews like the serial killers and like comes up with the first serial killer. I don't recall the name of the show offhand, but there's a large portion of it where he's training in Quantico. How true to life are those kind of things you see in TV where like the, the, the training sessions, you know, you've got like all of that. How accurate is it? So I would say the, you know, the movies, the TV shows, the books, I, I, they're good entertainment. They're not necessarily completely accurate, or I will say they are not completely accurate. However, they, they do have some basis in, in fact and reality, right? And so you're talking about kind of the serial killing investigations and that type of thing. Um, there is a behavioral analysis unit, which is actually at Quantico, uh, and they do uh, do those types of investigations and help to identify uh, serial killers and, and others that are uh, committing kind of large-scale violent crimes and, and whatnot, and then work with our state and locals to provide them with some tips and, and ideas of how to pursue their various investigations. Now, if I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, and keep in mind I went to D.C. public schools, so forgive me, <laughs> um, the FBI is the national police force. I wouldn't say it's National Police Force, but I mean, we are the the main investigative agency at the federal level uh, covering all sorts of different crimes and also national security type response. Uh, but there are many federal agencies that actually have law enforcement responsibilities in the federal government. So, you know, you think about the Drug Enforcement Administration and alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, um, Homeland Security investigations with Department of Homeland Security, Marshal Service. I mean, you could, I could name probably 20 different agencies that have... You know, we got to do a contest one day. <laughs> We're going to have to have people call in 
how many law enforcement agencies can you name? And then, and then you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, so when you left your, when you finished your training in Quantico, uh, you came back to the Bay. You were assigned back to the Bay. What did you do when you came back? Yeah, so my first office, again, was the San Francisco field office, and I was assigned to investigate essentially organized crime. Uh, that was my primary focus, and I did it in various capacities, uh, but it was essentially looking at kind of the, um, the hierarchy of a criminal organization and then trying to identify uh, not only who's involved, but what types of criminal activity they were conducting, uh, and then trying to get in and disrupt that activity to protect uh, the communities in the Bay Area and then, of course, the, the country at large. Speaking of protection of the community, so now you're here in Sacramento, and we are definitely going to come back to that part about you investigating organized crime because that's like a cool topic to talk about. But uh, just to bring it to Sacramento real quick, um, so here in Sacramento, the FBI, and I, I understand if you're not able to talk about it because it's a still ongoing thing, but there was a um, serial, apparently a serial rapist at Sac State, um, and the FBI got him internationally. Um, is there anything you can talk about that part? I can't, I can't talk about that particular investigation other than to say you're right. I mean, um, the uh, Sac State Police Department, the Sheriff's Department were involved in that particular investigation, uh, and they asked us to assist in trying to locate the person they believed was responsible and then bring that person into custody to, to face justice, so to speak. And so uh, you're right, we've, we found that person internationally and u utilizing our resources that are actually assigned and deployed overseas uh, and working with our foreign counterparts, we were able to um, get get him into custody and, and eventually get him back here. I got to tell you, I'm having a whole moment right now because, like, you know, I grew up watching movies like 13 Days and Clear and Present Danger, you know, the old Tom Clancy movies yep, and all that. Good movies. And you talk just like they do. It's like, oh, my gosh, I love it. It's so, it's so true to life. So how long have you been um, in the Sacramento field office? So it'll be going on six years this summer. I will have been the special agent in charge of the office. Um, so what, what does that mean? So there's 56 field offices spread out across the domestic United States, and each field office is responsible for a particular region. And so the Sacramento field office is responsible for the region of, covers 34 out of California's 58 counties. So pretty big geography. Um, it goes from the Oregon border down the Central Valley and the mountain ranges down to L.A. County. And so we stop where L.A. County uh, meets Kern County going up the grapevine. Uh, so it's a big territory to include, obviously, the state's capital. Um, and I'm in charge of the operations, the resources, the administration, the partnerships, uh, the media outreach, obviously, community outreach in that territory. So you're pretty much the head of the, of the NorCal FBI? Yes, the only, that's right. The only part of NorCal that I do not cover is the coastal counties. So we have another office that covers the coastal counties, but I've got the vast majority of the... Of so the, six years in Sacramento, uh, I bet you've had your hands busy. I mean, I've only been here for three years, and I can think about a couple of things that have, that have come, and I don't know if it escalated necessarily to the FBI's level, but could you talk about some of the, some of the things that you've accomplished in the six years leading the Sacramento field office? 
Sure, yeah. It, it, it's a busy territory. Um, there's just rich uh, and diverse communities spread out, uh, literally from the Oregon border down to L.A. County. I mean, you think about, um, you know, the populous areas like up north, Redding and Chico, and, and coming on down to um, Sacramento, and then um, uh, Stockton, and Modesto, and Fresno, and Bakersfield. And so in all those areas, they're pretty diverse, and they have different things going on. Um, from a both a national security perspective and a criminal investigative perspective, which is what we're responsible for for both of those, and so it's been a busy six years. Um, I will tell you the nobody here in this in this area has the resources to really do it by themselves, and so the FBI we partner with our state and local counterparts, local police, sheriffs, uh, our, our partner federal agencies to really combine our resources to try to protect the various communities that we're sworn to serve as best we can. And you think about the different things that we're dealing with here in this area. Uh, unfortunately, there is considerable violence in, in different areas, right? street crimes, but also more more uh, sophisticated, more organized crime. There's the gang um, violence and, uh, and other criminal activities that go along with, with gang activity. There's drug cartels that are uh, trafficking in, in illegal narcotics across uh, from Mexico and from other places. And um, uh, then you've got the national security type threats from either uh, homegrown violent extremists that are kind of radicalized either online or uh, or just in their communities and and then the international terrorism um, which thankfully you know we have seen a bit of a um, decline in here locally because we've been able to really address that threat as a whole of government pretty uh, pretty significantly overseas um, but we do have you know, the violence here um, from, from domestic extremists that we've been experiencing quite, uh, quite a lot lately. Uh, and then on top of that, the other thing that we have significant responsibility for is trying to prevent our foreign adversaries from spying on us and from stealing secrets. And oftentimes I think when people watch the movies, uh, they think about government secrets or military secrets, stealing, you know, battle plans, things like that. I mean, of course, they would be interested in stealing those things, but really, these foreign adversaries, foreign intelligence services, spend most of their time trying to steal information from private American companies, research and development, uh, so they can they can get these products uh, and steal their their technologies and then use it over in their home countries, not have to pay for it, right? So, what's the you know? It's interesting you bring that up because I know that there's a whole thing with like, like, like the 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 certain nations will like reverse engineer something and then mass produce it on their own at a way lower price boom 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 but then you hear about like like some countries like china and and russia have these like mock-up american cities where they've like duplicated the city exactly and and like they've got the information of like something that i, I saw when i first came out here they were saying that like they have like the information of at least half of the american population like your social security number, your name, your birthday, like what would they do with that kind of stuff? Yeah, so unfortunately, right, especially now that we are all operating in an online environment, right, and, and everything is, is digitized and, uh, you know, and it's not no longer paper. Um, and so the, the ability to hack into systems, computer systems, to steal that sensitive personal information is, is always a 
vulnerability and it's always a threat. Uh, and so they want that information, uh, one, to you know, potentially target people, uh, start to do kind of um, uh, analysis of who these people are, what access they have to what types of information that might be of interest to that particular country. And then they can kind of come up with a game plan of how to target those people uh, with, oftentimes without them even known, knowing that they're being targeted in order to either get, get access to their access or to steal information that they are privy to. And that could be, that could be business plans, uh, it could be technology that a company is developing, uh, it could be research and development that a university is conducting and that, that researchers and professors and students are involved in, in creating some sort of new technology or new, uh, new way of doing things. And they want to get that so that they, like you had mentioned, that they don't have to pay for it uh, and they can give it to their own people. Uh, and then that gives them a leg up on, on America, right? Because we're we're creating it. We're we're essentially paying for it. Uh, our the R and D and all of that, yep, right? Yep. And they get the reward without having to incur the cost or the time spent to develop it, right? So let me ask you this question: What's the, what? What is the, I'm gonna, I'm going to create a scenario, and then I want you to tell me how plausible it is. So let's say foreign country is spying on American citizens, and they discover like, oh, here's this guy Verbal, who builds photography equipment. Right, but he's like building next level photography equipment, and we know that he eventually might end up selling that equipment to the military. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna tap into Verbal's phone, so that when he goes into the military facility, it can act as a recording device for us. Is that like something that could happen? Sure. I mean, all of those types of things could happen, right? They could uh, they could get access to your phone depending upon. Um, if they have any kind of access physically to your phone, if they have knowledge about your, your isn't that what the whole thing with TikTok is, right? It's like the the big pushback, the the big objection United States has with TikTok is that um, they're giving the information that they gather on the users to the government of China, right? That is one of the uh, one of the concerns, right? Is because oftentimes uh, the government of China and the companies, Chinese companies that operate within China and then internationally um, don't have a lot of uh, ways to push back against the Chinese government if the Chinese government wants information from them, from those particular companies. Whereas American companies are not beholden to the U.S. government. Uh, they don't have to give us information unless we have a court uh, order to uh, request that information from them. and There has to be a legal purpose for that. Oftentimes in foreign countries, they don't have the same privacy protections, the same laws that we do. Uh, and so those companies don't have that type of ability to push back, and they have to allow the government access to their holdings. And, and oftentimes they have to act um, in furtherance of their uh, government's agenda. Mm, mm. By, by, by will or by, or, or by force. Yes. So uh, what are the ways that the average American citizen can I don't think you'll ever be able to completely make yourself uh, unavailable to these type of things but what's, what, what are some safety measures that the average person could take to be less I don't even know I, 
trying to, right, I'm trying to put in the words I'm trying to say. But basically, if I wanted to hinder them from being able to spy on me and gather information about me, what would I? What are some smart things that I could do to stop that? I mean, a lot of or it's to slow real, it down. Yeah, no, that's a good question. A lot of it's very simple things that you can do. It's it's the cyber hygiene, the cybersecurity type things that you can put in place for your own personal devices and your own. Uh, personal activities online. It's just as simple as that. It's um, having strong passwords and, you know, um, double authentication, so to speak, and uh, keeping your password secret, uh, changing your passwords, right? All the things we hear all the time, I mean, those sound easy and, and uh, like, like small little things, but they're not because a lot of people don't do that. So you probably shouldn't have the same password for all of your stuff. Probably, probably shouldn't, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's easier said than done. It we is. All, we all have so many passwords. Especially the older you get, you try to you try to stick with stuff you can remember. You know, <laughs> like oh no, I know what it is. It's this. Um, so, you've been um, the head of the of the Sacramento field office for six years now. So that that'll put us back to 2017. Yeah. Um, so you took office right after. Ugh. Gosh, you took office. You you took you took a office right after the presidential inauguration of forty five, right? That was twenty sixteen. Yep, I think you're right. So yeah. you got the. So when we're talking about those domestic, um, the domestic, I mean terrorism. Domestic terrorism is one word, but domestic threats I think would be a better way to put it because they're not all necessarily terrorists. That's right. Um, the domestic threat. You know, there's a lot of uh, people that would say that that threat increased following. Um, the 2016 presidential election and um, what we see on the television is like these these types of groups of militias and such they like to train in the wilderness and the woods they go out and you know California Oregon is that so so how true to life is that well yeah I mean there are across the country there are different groups militias that that train and, and do that type of thing. Now, that's not illegal, right? People have the right to uh, associate with one another and to have associations. Um, so that in and of itself is, is nothing necessarily to be concerned about. What we are concerned about are people, either individuals or groups, um, that come together and want to do some sort of Mostly we're concerned about the violence, uh, but other criminal activity as well. Um, and again, it's kind of like organized crime. Uh, it's gr people coming together to use their uh, collective resources for some ill-gotten gains, whether that's committing violence or... Uh, or catalytic converter theft rings. Yeah, catalytic converter theft rings, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, a, that's a whole thing we have going on here in Sacramento. You know, back home in D.C., I never even heard of a catalytic converter. You know, and then like when I got here, it's like the most popular crime is let's go steal people's catalytic converters and melt them down for the rare metals and such. And that's going on across the country. Yeah, it's a whole thing. How many? So let me ask you a question. You know, I've I've kind of mentally linked increases in crime to um, worsening of economic conditions. Um, you look at a crime like catalytic converter theft burglaries, armed robberies, those things tend to go up when wages or, or when people aren't having as much resources as they can, then those crimes of opportunity tend to happen. Um, how much, how, now, how true to life is that, that, that more crimes are, are occurring due to people's lack of economic access? I mean, California is an expensive place, like in general, um, even compared to the rest of the country, California is a higher price point. 
Um, so do you see that, that there's a lot of crime happening for financial gain as opposed to uh, more sinister motives? There is a lot of crime that occurs due to financial gain, right? I mean, I would say much of crime is motivated by financial gain to one degree or another. Uh, and so you, but you look, talk about catalytic thefts or, or other uh, street crimes, uh, burglaries, you know, theft of, of uh, people's property out of a vehicle, whatever it might be. Um, the individual that's actually committing that initial street crime, yes, they're probably doing it for financial reasons because they want to steal something that they can sell or, or utilize on their own. However, then you have to really look at who is, who's buying that. And, and there's a whole food chain, so to speak, all the way up to the top, right, of people that are involved in that type of criminal activity and that trafficking. And so the person that's doing the initial crime out on the street, they may not know they may know who they're going to try to sell it to uh, at the street level. They don't know anybody else past that who's further up the food chain. And that's where you have to really see how some of this criminal activity is driven because you've got an um, organized group of uh, criminals who are profiting greatly from catalytic converter theft because, like you said, the precious metals, right, or, or whatever product you want to talk about uh, that, they're, that they're trafficking in. Um, and they're profiting to such a great degree uh, that that trickles down to this, the, uh, the people on the street who are doing the, um, you know, the street thefts and the petty thefts and, the, uh, and whatnot. And so um, they might not know that they're being driven in that regard by these other people, uh, but they are. Uh, and so that's why it's so important to try to go after the, the top rung uh, of an organization because then you can really uh, have a, an impact on the community and the community's health and safety. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, you know, you see a guy on the corner selling a bag of weed. In his mind, he's probably not thinking about that it links all the way back to some cartel somewhere who wants him to be doing that so that they can be making money in his mind he's just like doing it for himself but it is a big thing and if you take out the source that that is profiting benefiting the most from it then you would at least cut some of the uh perpetration of these crimes because now you don't have that source so it's like if the catalytic converter thieves don't have a, a large organization to to buy those those converters from that then they melt down and do whatever and then sell that to somebody else you cut all of those out then it seems they cut it out what are they going to do with it right yeah that's correct that makes a lot of sense so what uh what does it take to become the special agent of the sacramento field office yeah so getting hired as an agent uh is you can see that on the um, on the FBI's website. It'll kind of give you the, the criteria, but you have to have a um, certain amount of education. So you've got to have at least a college degree uh, to be um, to be to be able to apply. Uh, then you also need, in most cases, some sort of work experience prior to the FBI to be a special agent. So some sort of professional work experience, two to three years, is kind of what we're looking at at a, at a minimum. Uh, and then any kind of other specialized type, uh, either education, training, abilities that you have would uh, be a plus. So language ability, any kind of uh, you know, math and science, uh, technical, um, computer abilities obviously would be pluses. 
historically, the FBI looked for a lot of times people that were lawyers, accountants uh, by trade, uh, some people who were police officers, uh, military officers, things like that in the intelligence community, and recruit from that pool. But we have become very much more diverse uh, over the years in terms of wanting folks with coming from a lot of different types of backgrounds, a lot of different varied educational backgrounds, professional backgrounds, because we want a workforce that's able to deal with a lot of different threats that this country is is facing. Uh, and if you've got people that have that training in advance, uh, it's it's only a plus. Yeah, that makes sense. I know I am. Back after 9-11, I was just, like, 9-11 was at 16, so I was getting ready to go into the workforce, you know, in mass. And um, I remember the FBI specifically were running these ads. They were like, anybody who can speak Farsi, if you can speak Arabic, if you can speak uh, Tagalog, any of those languages, any of them, we've got a job for you. Like, let's apply. And I, you know, I don't know if you remember the Rosetta Stone language software. I do. I tried to learn Arabic from that so I could get a job with the FBI because I wanted to be a G-man. Like, I just thought that was the coolest thing. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break in a moment, and then we'll be back with our interview with Sean Reagan, special agent in charge of the Sacramento field office of the FBI. Also, if you want more information on the FBI, you can go to www.fbi.gov. Uh, any other websites you? No, that's the main one. That's, that's a good the main one. one. FBI.gov. Check that out, and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we are back on Verbal Radio with FBI Special Agent in Charge, Sean Reagan. So, Sean, we have been talking about, um, I'm sorry, I've just been going all into your business, asking you about, you know, all of these different things. Let's talk about the FBI and some of the uh, different roles within the FBI, because everybody at the FBI is not an agent. That's like, I think that's a huge misconception, right? That's right. Um, so what are other jobs that are within the FBI? Yeah, thanks for asking that, because you're right. I mean, the American public, I think probably oftentimes thinks that it's all special agents because that's what you see on the movies the scholar scully and Mulder. yep yep yeah. x-files and, uh, and the tv shows and the books and but in reality the majority of the employees uh, the personnel working for the fbi are not agents um, and so you've got people that are doing office administration, which is critically important, right? Making sure that the, the offices are running smoothly and the lights are on and the computers are working. You've got um, computer specialists, again, to make sure that the, the computers are working and that everything is, uh, is flowing. Uh, you've got analysts, intelligence analysts that are not agents, but they're critically important role because they're assessing uh, the intelligence that's coming in, the information that's coming in, and trying to make heads or tails of it, and then pushing it out in a logical fashion to those who need to know. Uh, and that's a real skill set. Um, you've got people that are in all sorts of trades that you would find in uh, the greater community, but you can work in those trades within the FBI. So uh, things like a nurse, doctors, uh, we've got pilots, uh, we've got engineers, we've got scientists, um, uh, we've got language analysts or people that speak, uh, you know, different languages that can help either uh, review uh, communications or help to translate between people trying to speak with one another. Um, almost anything, auto mechanics. Uh, yeah, you got a lot of vehicles. Yeah, we got a lot of vehicles, so we have to have mechanics, right? Um, so literally almost anything you can think of that you could do out in 
uh, society, so to speak, you could do within the FBI and not be a special agent uh, to do it. And so the qualifications then are, depends on what you're going to do, but, you know, you don't necessarily need a college degree to come in to do some of those uh, assignments. You could do a high school degree um, or high school diploma. And, but then some of them, uh, for example, a language uh, specialist, of course, you're going to know how to speak a, a foreign language. Um, but much of, the, much of what you can do within the FBI, you know, we'll train you for. Um, and so that's why I like to encourage people that if you've always thought about or wanted to serve in that capacity, um, don't just think, you know, you have to be an agent or if you don't qualify, you can't work for the FBI because there's plenty of opportunities. I think that's a big misconception of a lot of people, including myself, um, because, you know, you think of the FBI and you think, well, you're an agent of the FBI. You know, like it's like when you think of any law enforcement, you think of the police department, mm -hmm. you think of officers. You don't think about like, well, there's somebody in there who's a clerk who actually is the IT person. Yep. Or, or there's somebody in there who maintains the vehicles. There's somebody in there who cleans the guns. There's somebody in there who makes the food, all of that. Like you don't think of those things. Um, and then you think about, well, I want to be in the FBI, but I got to have a college degree. And if I don't have a college degree, then I can't do it. Well, you don't need a college degree to do a lot of the jobs you just named. And the FBI is a federal job. That's correct. Which means it gets federal benefits. That Retirement, health care. That is true, right. We get, uh, you know, the benefits that you get from the federal government. And each agency is uh, uh, maybe a little different in terms of, you know, what that career might look like from a, from a benefit perspective. But, yeah, uh, health care and, and uh, you know, if you do a full career, a pension at the end. Um, and, and so you, those types of things you also get, obviously, with local government and state government, right, different, different systems. But, um, but, but there's a lot of uh, benefits for working for a public agency in that regard. And those people who aren't agents, they are not necessarily in harm's way in a sense of, like, they don't go on raids. They're not, like, the ones who are negotiating with the hostages. So you're not, you're not going to be a secretary, a receptionist at the FBI, and now you're on the phone playing Kevin Spacey and a negotiator negotiating with somebody. You're not, that's not a thing, right? Well, actually, though, that's true <laughs> to a certain degree, uh, but not 100% entirely accurate. So, um, wait, wait, which part is that entirely accurate? So, so you're saying that, like, the receptionist might actually end up in a situation? Where they're negotiating the release of a hostage. So let, let's take that, right? Let's say a, a secretary for the FBI, right? Um, that person can, depending upon their qualifications and abilities, uh, they can apply to be part of a field response team, which isn't necessarily an agent, but so they could be part of what we have uh, an evidence response team. And it's a very highly trained team of personnel who get deployed to a crime scene or some sort of a um, uh, national security related type incident, and they're there to process the scene, whatever that might be, evidence. Um, uh, they might even go to plane crashes uh, and help to process the scene of a plane crash. Um, and they don't have to be agents to do that. So you could, by day, uh, be a secretary for the FBI, and then when those uh, incidents occur, you get deployed to be part of that specialized team and you're given that training to be prepared to do that. That's what I was going to ask. So you do have an opportunity to learn. You do. Within the FBI. So like if I had one role, but I wanted to learn another one, then there's a, there's a process for that. Yeah. And once you're in the FBI, no matter what position you have, uh, you can always ask for and request 
other training and then put in for other assignments. Uh, and if you're, you know, you compete just like you do if you're coming in from outside, you compete internally. If you get selected, then you move to that next assignment. I mean, I'm already almost sold. <laughs> oh. I mean, if this, if this was your way of recruiting me. We have I mean, openings. You've been, you've been doing a good job, right? You know, you're really selling it to me. So, I mean, I could do this within the radio. Like, I mean, within the FBI, uh, FBI podcast, the FBI photographer. So, so we, we, yes, thank you for mentioning that. We actually have people who do the internal FBI radio show, which we actually have radio within the, within the FBI. And somebody with your qualifications could fit right into that. Um, and we also do have photographers and videographers and uh, media specialists, public affairs yeah, specialists. Yeah, because they would have to make those, those recruitment videos and yep. stuff like that. Yep. And, and also to engage with the media um, and to set up. You know, All right, so I'm like, like seriously right here, I'm seriously running, like going through it in my mind, like, okay, could I make this work? Could I, <laughs> could I join the FBI and still do all those other things that I like to do? Uh, that is interesting. Because, you know, you, like, again, it's just like it doesn't, it doesn't seem that way from what we're taught by television and media that the FBI is this well-oiled machine that has lots of moving parts. You just think, like, there's 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 the there's the guys who investigate crimes, and, and yeah, and that's the I mean the primary function is obviously investigating significant crimes, and or preventing uh, significant crimes or national security type threats. That's the primary focus of the organization. But all the other parts uh, that are there to support that and to make sure, like you said, a well-oiled machine to make sure that we're able to to fulfill our mission of protecting the American people, um, it takes a, a village, so to speak, right? And so, yeah, there so, are a lot of opportunities. So starting with that, let's talk about that village, because um, I went to an event for the 100 black men uh, at uh, John Still Middle School. Ha! You hear that, Chinua wrote? I got it right. He had to email me. The president of the school board emailed me when I wrote the article because I called it John Still High School. And he's like, it's actually a middle school. <laughs> so I remember now. Okay. Um, and the FBI was there. The FBI was there. You were there. I was there. That's how we met. Um, and then there were some other G-men in the corner. I just love saying it. There were some other G-men <laughs> in the corner. Um, so what, uh, what opportunities, like if someone was a teenager still in high school and they, had, they were interested in a potential career with the FBI, what would you tell them? I would, I would highly encourage them to pursue it, to do their own research and, and homework on it, to see what the opportunities are. Um, reach out to us to get that information so that they can make a better educated um, you know, assessment of what they want to do in their, in their futures and in their careers. But, but no matter what it is, I mean, working for the FBI, I would highly encourage that because, I mean, I'm, that's part of my job is to recruit. Uh, but on top of that, I mean, really any public service, anything they can do to serve their, uh, you know, their fellow citizen members uh, in, a, in a service capacity, I think is, is fabulous, and, and I would encourage them to do that. Um, but so for teens, you know, we do things um, two to three times a year. We'll do a teen academy, and we'll bring teenagers from across our territory uh, into our uh, main FBI facility, in, which is located in Roseville, uh, and we'll give them a full day-long class on what the FBI is, uh, the different types of careers, what, what are the opportunities, what they have to do 
as they get older, if they want to pursue a career in the FBI, let them ask questions, let them see some demonstrations uh, on different types of investigative and tactical type techniques and things like that, tools. Um, I've never, it's always been very positive feedback from the teens uh, that have come to it experience like a it. cool experience. Yep. So if they, if a parent wanted to get their teen involved in that, or if a teen wanted to get involved in that, how would they, how would they sign up? So we advertise it uh, tw- two to three times a year before we have the teen academies, but you go to the uh, www.fbi.gov, and then you would go to the Sacramento field office site, which you can access through our website. Uh, there you can get some information. Also call, just call our main number, uh, 916-746-7000, and, and let let us know that you're interested in having your teen um, participate. It is a competitive process because we, we only have so many spaces and so a lot of kids apply. Uh, we'd love to take them all, uh, but we, we don't have the space to take them all each time. But that's, um, that's a way that they can get involved. Now, the other thing that we do for the teens and for the schools, kind of like you had mentioned, um, is going out to the schools themselves and doing presentations for classes for the the uh, student body, and not only at the at the grade school level and the high school level, and we also do it at the college level as well. So, uh, just one more question about the um, teen program. Well, two more questions about that. The first one is, what are the age ranges for that? So, for the teen academy itself, we try to focus normally on the juniors, uh, so their third year in high school. Um, that's not set in stone. We could we could take you know younger or older, uh, but that's kind of the main year that we try to try to focus on. Um, and then you know, as they people become interested as, as teenagers, uh, and if then they go to college, let's say uh, they, there's a uh, collegiate internship program that that college kids can get involved in, and they can come and spend a summer with us uh, working in various capacities in our offices. Uh, and then also while they're going to school, they can spend anywhere from, you know, eight to probably 24 hours um, a, uh, a month working, continuing their internship while they're still studying and going to school. That's what I was going to ask. Are there internships available with the FBI? So, yeah, there, like I said, there's internships uh, mostly at the at the college level. So uh, we will take college students in as interns and then... Um, that gives them the opportunity to assess whether this is something they are actually interested in pursuing for a career. Uh, And then if they are, having been involved in that internship will give them a step up uh, in terms of the application process for actually becoming a full-time employee. But as as you mentioned, though, you don't need to go to college to work for the FBI. Yeah, you only need to go to college if you want to be an agent. Yep. But if you want to do, like, the other roles within the FBI, you don't need to go to college right. for those. I mean, yeah. it, it would help, though, if you had specialized training yes. in the field that you were applying for. Yes. So, for example, if you are uh, an auto mechanic and you've got experience doing that, you don't need a college degree to apply for the FBI. You can apply with your experience and vice versa with radio hosts, et cetera, et cetera, which that's is right. pretty cool. And I don't know why that's not advertised more. I mean, it really it seems like, you know, because, you know, you get to these higher law enforcement agencies, um, like for the Secret Service, for example. Like, you can't even apply for the Secret Service if you haven't served in the military or prior law enforcement experience. Like, or that might be the marshals. But it's like, you know, you so the the public image of these agencies is that it's like a very select group of people that are let through the door. But we don't really see the infrastructure behind them. 
You know, like you look at the Hoover building in D.C., and for those of you who don't know what that building is, it's the building from the X-Files, all the American flags outside of it. Uh, by the way, just because I was in tourism, I'm going to mention, every one of those American flags that fly outside the Hoover building is different. They actually fly every variation of the American flag, going all the way back to the first flag sewn by Betsy Ross back in the day. Mm. Um, so, now that I've had my tangent, um, <laughs> so... There's not a lot of infrastructure seen. And when you watch television and movies and things like that, we really, you know, the public loves to see the results. So we hear that there's been a months-long investigation. Like, we know the FBI was involved with the, um, with the, with the, with, with the uh, capture of both Saddam Hussein and, and, and Osama bin Laden. And we think, oh, well, it's just the agents on the ground, blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot of people supporting them, people listening to the data, people translating the conversations, people paying, just watching out the window, paying attention, people communicating with the locals on the ground, people processing the paperwork that's coming from overseas and routing it to the right people back here domestically, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole chain that all of this information is routed to and passed through and there are links in the chain. So those of you who want to be part of the FBI, just remember to go to FBI.gov where you can apply. Um, now I got to ask you cause you, you brought it up. X-Files, anything to that? Like, I mean, you're the head of the FBI. So is there, is there any, uh, uh, well, I can tell you, I've never been uh, dispatched to an X-File type, uh, <laughs> investigation or, or case. Uh, so if, if there is, uh, I haven't personally witnessed it. Unfortunately. Well, do you have an investigative unit that, do you have a unit that specifically investigates, you know, like Bigfoot sightings type thing? Again, not that I'm aware of. Not here in uh, Sacramento do we have a unit like that. However, you know, that being said, right, if there are strange occurrences, strange events that, that happen, um, it would not be uh, surprising to have the FBI um, assigned to investigate it, right? So, uh, you know, something something just um, recent in the news was the um, kind of that balloon that was traveling mm -hmm. across the country. Um, and so obviously multiple different agencies involved in that particular situation, but, but the FBI being one of those agencies to help to try to determine uh, what that balloon was and what kind of capabilities it had or didn't have. Um, and so, you know, the FBI does get called out to do a lot of things that people wouldn't necessarily think of. I mean, I'll tell you one of the things that, that we're involved in that I don't, I think probably most people that aren't even, that aren't in the FBI would not know, um, is we are the primary agency domestically to render nuclear weapons safe uh, if either they get stolen from our arsenals uh, or if somebody makes a uh, homemade nuclear weapon or somehow, uh, you know, has has possession of it from somewhere else and is going to utilize it within the United States, um, it's our primary responsibility to uh, to stop that from occurring, obviously, uh, but then also to render that particular device safe. So what does that mean? That means we have to have people that are trained in really nuclear physics. And dismantling and, nuclear weapons. And dismantling nuclear weapons, right? I mean, so that you can imagine the type of training that goes into that. Um, so again, it's a pretty diverse um, career set that you you could get into if you get into the FBI. So if we were to, uh, this is not going to be a fair question. So just try to answer as best as you can. For for in layman's terms, if we were to try to define the breadth of the FBI's purview, um, what would those bound? Well, like. 
So we know that the FBI has oversight of domestic issues once they've escalated beyond a local level. Um, and we know that the FBI does have some international authority to some extent or the ability to operate internationally to some extent. So what um, type of things are like FBI? This is like, like, when do you make the distinction between this is an FBI matter and this is a local matter? This is an FBI matter. And this is a military matter. Like, when does the FBI become involved? Yeah, so that's a good question. So the FBI has a very broad um, mission set. And we're really one of the only agencies, not only domestically here in the U.S. government, but in the world where our agency is responsible for on kind of half the agency is responsible for investigating criminal activity and or preventing criminal activity. And the other half of the agency is involved in national security related uh, protection and investigations and efforts. Um, usually you have two different agencies that might be responsible for, for those things. And here in the United States, the FBI has jurisdiction of both. Um, and so that gives it the agency a, a, a breadth beyond what uh, would normally be considered uh, for, for many agencies. Um, and so, but you ask about where, you know, where, where is the line between state and local and federal? Um, it's kind of a blurry line in the sense of uh, if there's a federal crime or, or a federal nexus, we call it. So if it's a terrorism event or uh, we talked about um, uh, like a spying type situation that foreign adversary is spying on us or there's federal criminal violations involved, then we would get involved in that. However, we also have the authority to assist our state and local partners in joint investigations. Um, and oftentimes there is a federal connection in many of the things that our, our state and locals are investigating. Uh, and so we'll get involved to offer our assistance. We won't necessarily be the primary agency on it, but we will be there to uh, be a force multiplier for them. And so much of what we do, uh, especially at the field office level, is done in conjunction with our partners, working either in formalized task forces or in kind of ad hoc working groups, so to speak. So you, the FBI has capabilities that local law enforcement wouldn't, for example, like um, nuclear weapon dismantling. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's right. The, the local police, uh, state, state police, state authorities um, have jurisdiction for the state that they operate in uh, and the state that they're, they're uh, employed by. Um, but they don't usually have any type of responsibility or authorities outside of their state boundaries. Uh, that's the case with most California law enforcement agencies or state agencies as well, whereas our authorities cross across you know, all of the states and territories. Uh, and then I think you had mentioned the, the overseas activity and, and whatnot. So many people don't know this. Uh, I think most people know that we are deployed um, domestically across the continental United States and, of course, Hawaiian Islands and some Puerto Rico, some of the um, uh, Pacific Island territories. However, we also have offices, permanent offices overseas, mostly in our embassies, uh, and so we will have FBI, not only agents, but here's another uh, opportunity for non-agents to get involved in the international arena. We will have analysts and also administrative staff assigned to our foreign posts. And their responsibility over there is to coordinate with our 
uh, foreign counterparts or the, or the counter foreign governments uh, where we're we're the guests of, so to speak, in those countries, uh, and work with them to one pass them information on things that are applicable to their jurisdiction, so threats that we might find out about in the United States, uh, but there might be a threat to a, either an individual or a, uh, an entity in, in that country, and we will pass that information to them, and vice versa, information that they get uh, about threats to the American homeland or American interests overseas, they will pass to us, and we will ensure that information is disseminated so the right folks can... So. It, would I be correct in saying, like, if a person applied to do administrative work for the FBI and their heart's desire was to live in Thailand, they could end up working for the FBI at the American embassy in Thailand? Without a doubt, that is correct. Yep. And so you could be a, um, you know, you could come in at the uh, kind of the ground level as an office assistant, um uh, doing, you know, doing paperwork, filing, uh, secretary, as you had mentioned, I think earlier, you know, whatever that assignment might be that you come in, that entry-level assignment, and you could put in to be essentially the same thing, an office uh, administrator, office assistant, but in an, in an overseas capacity, so assigned to one of our overseas offices. And we have over, somewhere in the neighborhood of 62 to 65 foreign offices right now. Uh, spread out across the globe, and so you could put in and, and be assigned to one of those offices. So if I was, if a person had um, came in like administratively, et cetera, et cetera, and while they were working in their administrative capacity, got a degree, like they had been going to school the whole time, they got a degree, could they then apply to become an agent? Yes, yeah. So you you can definitely move on to a wide array of different assignments once you. Uh, get that your step in the door, you know, your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. You can apply to a, a wide array of different types of assignments once you're there, and to include being an agent. I gotta tell you, I'm seriously thinking about. <laughs> I'm seriously <laughs> thinking about it because one, it would just be so cool to be a part of the FBI, but then to be able to travel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then um, it see it gives incentive for me personally to go get that college degree. Because then it's like, okay, well, I'm already and like, because in my mind, if I've been working for the FBI as an administrator for two years, then I got a college degree, and then I applied as an agent, well, I already worked for the FBI, so there's no way you're going to tell me no if I can pass the exams, right? Yep. So it's like, shortcut. Yeah, I'm liking this conversation. Um, so definitely, folks, make sure that, that you have those opportunities. For you guys in college, you know, Sac State, uh, internships are the way to go get your foot in the door build those relationships high school students juniors um maybe seniors even try to apply to those programs you can go on fbi.gov look up the sacramento field office or you can call 916-746-7000 to find more information about how to be a part for local residents um as we have been uh discussing for several months now Affordable opportunities for employment um, are something that people are desiring. And the FBI is saying right now, we're wide open. Pretty much any field of work you can do, we've got a job for it. And our qualifications aren't what you think they are. Plus, it's a federal job, which means it will come with secured, guaranteed benefits. And FBI ain't cheap. They ain't starting nobody at $15 an hour. It's the FBI. So uh, that is an opportunity. And there's options for travel. And as you know, we like to keep the community informed here on Verbal Radio. So we brought in the head of the FBI to tell you this. 
himself. Uh, thank you so much, Director, well, Special Agent Reagan, um, for taking the time to keep the community informed here on Verbal Radio. And uh, we are going to take a quick break. So, Special Agent Reagan uh, from the Sacramento Field Office, you've had to work on a lot of cases in the, what, 27 years? 27 years. 27 years you've been with the FBI. Uh, you know, you've worked with the FBI through two millenniums. Well, twenty well, two two decades, almost three decades. Well, right? yeah, well, because twenty seven years ago would have been nineteen ninety six. Yeah, nineteen ninety six, and that was the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. And then we moved into the twenty first century in two thousand one. Yeah, centuries in there, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're making me feel very old. I oh will say well, that. um, your, your hair is still. Your, I don't have hair. But. <laughs> See, that's what, <laughs> so that's what happens. My default, my default compliment backfired on me. Uh, <laughs> and and my mustache is white. So, no, because right, I was yeah. gonna go there. I was yeah. gonna like, well, the mustache. Yeah. No, no. Well, you still got a great shape. You yeah. know, you seem like you work oh, out a lot. You, you know, you thank got you. you're still in good shape. You're very virile. Third, uh, third tries a charm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I uh, shot myself in the foot, so we're just going to move on from that. Uh, 27 years. In the, see, I don't even want to say it now. You've been with the FBI for a while. Um, so tell me some about, about some of the interesting cases that you've been a part of. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I mean, I started my career working organized crime and, and crim, what we call criminal enterprises. So it's, it's looking at um, uh, groups of people that come together to conspire to commit some sort of criminal activity, right? Uh, and so early in my career, I was I was doing that as well, and we still do it here in in the Sacramento field office. But uh, I get to to oversee the folks that are actually doing the investigations currently. But in in my past, when I was doing the investigations, um, you know, one of the things that I looked at was the um, organizations within the prison system, so within the California Department of Corrections, um, and the folks that oftentimes were doing life sentences or very lengthy sentences, but they were the uh, leading members of a particular gang, and they were really controlling the gang's activities out on the streets from the, you know, from the prison cells. Um, And so we wanted to look at the whole structure of the gang, all the way from the leaders in prison who may never see the light of day again, all the way down to the young um, entry-level gang members who are conducting the kind of the street-level violence and other crimes, and then trying to show that connection and then build a, uh, at the federal FBI, federal government level, we call it a racketeering case uh, against the organization. And so I was involved in uh, a number of those types of, of cases, and they're long-term. Uh, oftentimes they take several years to put together uh, because you have to collect uh, a lot of evidence to show the connections between the different levels of the of the organization and, and what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're making their money, how they're communicating. Uh, and then when you're looking at the prison system, how are they specifically communicating from the prison outside of the street and how are folks on the street communicating back to their leadership within prison. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into it. It's multi-agency type investigation, uh, working with the California Department of Corrections and with uh, local law enforcement as part of a task force, um, and then putting all that, that case together. Um, and so those are very interesting. Um, you have to have patience 
to do those types of investigations because, uh, again, you're not seeing the immediate rewards um, or the immediate impact uh, of what you're doing. It could be several years until you see that impact. But when you do see the impact, it's pretty significant because you're able to really either disrupt or dismantle the whole organization from top to bottom. Uh, and that then brings some safety to the community um, and lowers the, you know, the crime rate of what you're seeing on the street, the violence and other criminal activity on the street. So that's when you feel like you've actually had a, you know, had an impact. You know, one of the, uh, two of the agencies in the United States that, that, that's, that like you don't want to be on the bad side of because they're incredibly patient and they will eventually get there, man, is the FBI and the IRS. <laughs> um, I remember when the Capitol was stormed on January 6th, uh, following that, the national FBI said, uh, we will get every one of you that breached the Capitol, no matter how long it takes, we're going to get every one of you. And to this day, they're still bringing in people who were, who were there, that kind of patience, you know? Um, so organized crime cases. Uh, so, you know, you don't really think about the mafia, the, 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 you know, as you do on the East Coast, like you got the Gambino family and such, you don't really think of them having a West Coast operation. Um, you think more about the cartels, but in, in the term of organized crime. So does organized crime have to be a large scale organization like a cartel or could it be like five or six people who've just come up with a racket of crime and that would be organized crime? Yeah, so it's both, right? It's the large-scale cartels, large-scale traditional uh, crime families or crime groups on one end. Um, and oftentimes they're international. Uh, and then on the other side of things, like you just mentioned, it could be a group of, of you know, three, four, five, ten people that have come together to uh, kind of conspire to do something illegal to line their pockets with ill-gotten gains, so to speak. Um, and so it could be anywhere in between those two. Uh, you know, what was really, it, it's making me chuckle on this end, and it's also kind of messed up. It's like all of the terms you're using, ill-gotten gains, racketeering, Grand Theft Auto is a, the video game, has an update, and each update is one of those names. There's like the Criminal Enterprises update, the racketeering upgrade, the organized crime update, the... It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> it just just makes me chuckle. <laughs> so with the with the with the prison organized crime, um, obviously you know anybody who's on the internet, you you can actually see cell phone videos coming out of prison, where they where their prisoners are showing off, you know, like how they live. This is you know we got we cook with this, and this is my iPhone, and boom boom boom, and people are like, how are you in prison with an iPhone? Blah blah blah. Um, so to infiltrate those, well, to, to get the information on those organizations, would that, the, the, does someone have to go undercover in the prison? That's one, one technique, one tool, so to speak. Because that job seems like it would suck. Being an undercover uh, in any capacity, no matter what type of investigation it is, is very dangerous. It's stressful. Um, uh, a lot of training uh, has to go into that. Uh, a lot of preparation work for setting the stage, so to speak, uh, for that undercover activity. Um, so that's one way to do it. That's not the only way to do it, right? You, you can have people on the inside who are providing you information. Um, you can have technical type coverage of, like you had mentioned, phones or, you know, emails or things like that. You can have, uh, if you have the, the uh, court authority to do it, you can 
you can listen to people's conversations, so to speak, right? Um, there's historical cases that get built where crimes have occurred, it's all been documented, and then you, you build a group of um, cases that maybe nobody saw in the past when these crimes were occurring were actually connected. Uh, but then with the, uh, the power of hindsight, you bring these historical uh, incidents together to show that it was actually part of a larger conspiracy. And so you can put together a, an historical case uh, without using an undercover that necessarily. so interesting. Like you just look at all of the pieces over time and mm -hmm. see the big picture. And it's like, actually, these cases are all related. And let me show you how. Here's the string that connects them. Yep. What case are you most proud of in your 27-year career? You know, I don't know that there's one particular case. There's, I've been involved in many cases, either from an investigative standpoint uh, or from managing a team that was involved in... Well, so let's go with that part. So, so since you've been special agent in charge of the Sacramento field office, what is your most proud accomplishment that your team um, has, has, has done? So one of, I'll just give you an example of one of the cases that we did um, on the national security side. We received information that a particular individual living here in our uh, territory, he was down in the kind of Modesto, Fresno area, um, and he was becoming radicalized online uh, and was expressing uh, his desire to to commit acts of violence in furtherance of um, a particular terrorist group and an ideology. And it was pretty fast moving because he, he was expressing that he wanted to commit this violence um, very quickly. He didn't have a lot of patience, did not want to wait. Uh, and therefore, once we got this information, we had to move very quickly as well to prevent that from occurring. Um, but the only way you can prevent that from occurring is or one of the main ways is to gather the evidence to be able to uh, arrest him or her, as the case may be. In this case, it was a him, uh, to stop him from committing that activity. Uh, there's other ways we can talk about, too, that you might be able to divert somebody from their, their intended path without pursuing a law enforcement kind of uh, uh, objective, and you can get social services and mental health professionals involved, things like that. But in this particular case, um, we put together a multi-agency team and a task force, and uh, we did have some undercover capacity uh, in that regard, and we were able to collect evidence that this particular individual was intending to uh, commit a mass casualty event at Pier 39 in San Francisco. And so we had to uh, step in and prevent that, obviously, from occurring, but also collect the evidence necessary to be able to prove in a court of law that that is what his intention was. Uh, and so through some of the various techniques we just talked about, uh, we were able to collect that evidence uh, and then insert ourselves into, uh, into that particular investigation to be able to stop him. Um, and then uh, he was actually arrested and pled guilty and is now serving a uh, fairly lengthy federal uh, sentence for that for his intent and his um, his conspiracy so to speak to uh, commit that attack in pier 39 so pretty fast moving but I mean you could imagine if we had not uh, discovered that information and had not stopped him and he would have been reacting out. to it instead of being yep. proactive yeah I would imagine that the FBI is full of unsung heroes in a sense of like 
because it's something I never thought about before until this very conversation. The FBI has probably prevented a lot of crimes that never became, that never made it to the public eye. Because it's not like you guys necessarily announce every single day, oh, by the way, we stopped this person who was going to do this. So you guys will probably stop some horrific stuff from happening. Um, and the public is completely unaware about it because of whatever reasons. Um, yeah, and that's our, I mean, that is our goal is to prevent as opposed to react, as you had mentioned. Because once you're reacting to an incident, whether it's a national security type incident or a crime, that means usually somebody's already been victimized. Somebody has already been injured or uh, they have gotten their, their finances stolen from them, whatever the case may be. Uh, we want to prevent that from occurring in the first place. Yeah, that's right. The FBI does uh, does take point on those kinds of investments, like Bernie Madoff and those Ponzi mm-hmm. schemes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, def- people being defrauded, you know, uh, telephone scams, you know, old older folks who are getting their entire life savings cleaned out. The FBI are the ones who investigates those cases. Has the FBI always um, done a lot of the national security part, or is that something that's happened in the in you know more recent years? No, it's been the history of the FBI to be involved in in national security protection, um, dating all the way back really to the beginning of the FBI, which was in 1908, um, and you know it, it, the FBI is. Uh, responsibilities have evolved over time without a doubt and have changed uh, depending upon the you know the the, what was going on in the country at the time but we've always been involved in uh, that national security mission set man so the FBI man this has just been a crash course on government um, specifically how the FBI works and I'm learning a lot I just had no idea Um, now now that you say it it all makes sense like the FBI is pretty much tied into everything Um, and so prevention is the goal. Prevention is for the, goal. the FBI. Yep. And and response as a necessity. Yep. But the goal is to stop it before it happens. That's right. Um, and that's easier said than done, obviously. But um, that's what the I in FBI yep. stands for. Yep. The investigation part. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's, and, that's and and the key, you know, I mean, not to interrupt you, but the yeah. key there is to is to work with not only our law enforcement partners and, and our intelligence community partners, depending upon the, the nature of the threat, but really also the community um, and getting the community involved to be part of the solution and to try to uh, intervene to prevent something from occurring before it occurs. And again, if, if there's no crime, then we're not necessarily going to go arrest somebody because, you know, that there hasn't, a crime hasn't occurred yet, but that's fine by us. We want to stop a crime from occurring and divert a person or a group of people into a, a uh, more positive path than the path that maybe they're intending. And we do that by encouraging uh, collaboration with our community partners. So is there a, um, for, 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 well, in the black community, there's a lot of distrust between the community and law enforcement in general, not specifically the FBI. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit the FBI, only because things have come to light in recent years. Like the FBI had infiltrated the Black Panthers and, and Dr. King and Malcolm X and all of that. But um, the community is a huge part in preventing crime and solving crimes that have occurred. I mean, that that's that's a basic fact of life. Um, so for people who, who would feel unsafe sharing information with the FBI, what would you tell them? 
I would tell them that I understand that how they would feel at, at uh, not at ease and unsafe depending upon the circumstances and not that they would not necessarily want people to know uh, that they were sharing information with the FBI. That's completely understandable. Uh, people do not have to share information and divert, uh, um, uh, disclose their identities. They can do it anonymously. Uh, they can provide tips without giving their identity. Um, and then also they can, they, can, they can provide their identity and we can keep that, uh, that close hold, so to speak, and, and not disclose who they are. So, totally understand uh, you know, some of the hesitancy there. But we, the FBI, law enforcement, really the government in general, cannot be successful without the cooperation uh, of our citizens and our community members. Uh, and so if we don't have that, uh, that cooperation and that relationship, then we are definitely not going to be successful or not nearly as successful as we could be in protecting the communities. Well, hopefully this conversation goes a long way towards uh, building a stronger or strengthening that relationship um, by people being able to learn, as I have, about what the FBI actually does beyond what we see on television. Um, and then realizing, I mean, there's so much opportunity within the FBI for the average person to be involved. Um, there's opportunities for students. There's opportunities in the community. Um, and it all plays together. So I think that this could hopefully just goes a long way, at least in our NorCal area uh, goes a long way towards um, strengthening that relationship between the FBI and the community. And uh, also, you know, we'll be seeing you guys represented at different events. Plus, great job, by the way, on behalf of all Sacramentans and the students of Sac State. Thank you and great job on capturing that suspect in that case. A lot of people were worried. It was a very strong concern that a lot of people had. Um, and just the badassery of, of how you guys pulled that off was just well done. Well done. Well, thank you. Very that much. kind of stuff that makes us proud to be Americans. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you taking the time to come in today. Uh, again, we have been talking with special agent in charge, Sean Reagan of the Sacramento field office of the FBI, AKA G man. Yes. I got him to say it. The G man. Uh, first time I've ever referred to myself as that. Well, there's a first for everything and it happened right here on verbal radio. Uh, thank you all for listening. Tune in to our next episode next week. I have no idea who we're talking to, but it's going to be amazing anyway. Sean, thank you so much. If you want more information about the FBI, go to FBI.gov. The telephone number for the local field office is 916-746-7000. And if you're interested in that internship program, go to FBI.gov, click on the Sacramento Field Office tab, and then you'll find the information there about that program open uh, to students and, and college students for internships. And if there's anything else you need to know, feel free to reach out to Verbal Radio at verbalradio at houseverbal.com. Otherwise, we're going to sign off now. Any final words? I'll leave you with the final thought, Mr. Reagan, the G-Man. Uh, thank you very much. for Well, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, I appreciate it. And yeah, I would just highlight what you just said. I mean, any members of the public want more information, please reach out to us. Uh, we didn't mention, but we have citizens academies too. So we can invite people to come and, uh, and participate in one of our academies to learn more about the FBI. I want to, I want to do that. Well, I, I'm looking forward to having you again on a, can I get you on another, uh, can I get in a, can I get you on another show? I will commit to you right here here yes. now. All right, so <laughs> tune in tune in guys. Uh we'll get we'll get Sean Reagan back on Verbal Radio before the end of the year hopefully and uh the next episode we'll go into a little bit more depth cuz I want to talk about aliens. Um uh, <laughs> thanks for tuning in to Verbal Radio and we're out. <laughs>